If you would turn with me to John chapter 3, we pick up this morning right after Nicodemus came and Jesus explained the necessity of being born again in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. Right after Jesus got done turning all of our fleshly expectations of what he came to accomplish upside down, set them on their head and made us realize that his kingdom is not of this world and that his work is far more, far greater than we ever realized on our own. Now we come to an account of John the Baptist rebuking his disciples for being jealous of Jesus and the progress that his ministry was experiencing. John, as he rebukes them, gives us the ultimate corrective for our wrong priorities as we enter into a new year, as we enter into a time of thinking about what we want to accomplish in the next year, what we want to change in ourselves and in our lives, uh, as we enter into a time of thinking about what our resolutions are going to be. John's words to his own disciples concerning Jesus and his work ought to be a help to us in all of that thinking. They ought to inform our resolutions. So let's stand as we read God's word from John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Ainan, near Selene, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, He is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So John's disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They had heard what John said about him. And John's whole purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. 
But John's disciples are not interested in the completion of that work and the beginning of new work. That's very clearly what has to happen when, if your work is to prepare the way of the Lord and the Lord has come, there's got to be a change that takes place at that point, right? A change in what your work is. The beginning of a new phase, if you will. And so, we look at our text and we see that John has made that transition, that he is content, not just content, but he says that this joy of mine has been made full. What joy is he referring to? He's referring to the joy of the friend of the bridegroom. So he's calling himself just the friend, not the focus of the event. You think about a wedding and you think about what the focus is. Of course, the focus is on the couple that's getting married, right? That's what John is referring to, Jesus being the bridegroom, the bride being the church, made up of all those who believe. And so, John's joy comes from the fact that the the conclusion, the day has been brought about that they've all been waiting for, which is when the bridegroom comes. This is what John has been looking forward to. It's the work that he's been preparing for. Today, the, uh, the best man, the friend of the groom, doesn't have a whole lot of work. But even so, you still see preparation that he does, right? And so he looks forward to that day, and, he's, and he rejoices on that day, when that day finally arrives. He rejoices because this is what he's been looking forward to. This is what the bridegroom has been looking forward to. The whole goal has been that this day would come and that the work would be completed, the work of preparation for the day. After that, the relationship changes, doesn't it? After that, the work changes. And so, John has his disciples, and his disciples love him, right? And you can see that they're offended on his behalf, aren't they? They're offended that he's not getting the attention that he was getting before. He's not getting the, uh, the number of people coming to him for baptism that he was getting before. He's not getting his due right in their minds. 
And yet, what does John say? He must increase, but I must decrease. Earlier he says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. And then they said themselves, the one whom you, you testified of, right? So they know who Jesus is. They admit that they know who Jesus is, or at least what John claims, right? So what is this offense that they've taken? Well, it's the offense of somebody else. And a wrong one, because no offense has, no offense has occurred, right? All that has happened, according to John, is the proper order of things. The day has arrived, the day that they've been waiting for, the change that takes place at this point where he must decrease and Christ must increase is only the natural progression of the work that he's been doing. So there's a couple of things that I want us to think about with this. The first is taking other people's offenses on yourself. We have to be careful not to needlessly stir up conflict and controversy on behalf of somebody else. All right? Look at this, uh, verse 25. There arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. So this is central to what's going on. You, we don't know exactly what their argument was or what their... But you can see that they were getting they were they were getting caught up in the wrong things right they're getting caught up in disagreement about purification they're getting caught up in uh, trying to defend what John has done they're trying to they're getting caught up in defending uh, John's reputation, his importance in the work of the kingdom. And of course, the reality is that John's work in the kingdom was incredibly important, wasn't it? I mean, the way that Jesus speaks about John the Baptist, beautiful. You don't get a higher commendation than John the Baptist gets, right? And yet, John's response is, he must increase, but I must decrease. Don't take on other people's offenses needlessly. Defend people from false accusations? Absolutely. Jump right in there, right?
defend their honor. Sure, yeah, when, you know, when people are slandered. Yeah, defend their honor. But let's not, let's not worry about defending people for the sake of their glory. As a matter of fact, if we, if we try to defend people for their glory, then we've simply ended up becoming proud ourselves. Even if they're not proud. John isn't proud, right? John's response is entirely humble, and yet his disciples have become proud in trying to defend his glory, his honor. Why is John important? John is important because God's work has been given to him and he was accomplishing God's will. And so his importance is entirely dependent on God, isn't it? This is the the first part of John's response. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven, as in from God. Right? So this is so important because what he's saying is, I was important for a time. I was important for a time because God gave me this important work to do for a time. Now that time is past. This isn't, this isn't, my, uh, this isn't my time now to be important. He recognizes how important his work was. That's why he says he must decrease. It's not some sort of false humility. Oh, I haven't done anything. Oh, my work was nothing. You know, that was nothing. You know, that was nothing. No, it was very important. But it was given to him from heaven. And it's only as long as that work lasts that it's important for him to be doing that work. And his importance in, in the whole grand scheme of things is entirely related to that, or subordinate to the fact that his work came from heaven, from God. So what does this mean for us? Well, as we evaluate our priorities going into a new year, the work that we're doing has to be work that we've been given from above. We cannot take on work for ourselves that has not been given to us. Right? One of the places where this is... uh, should be obvious, but needs to be stated, is in manhood and womanhood, right? The work that we've been given to do as men and as women differs. The work that God has called us to. And an awful lot of the time, we feel as though the particular work that we've been handed from heaven doesn't give us enough importance. Right? 
Isn't that tempting to feel that way? But a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. And so all the honor and glory that we think is attainable in the work itself, if we take on some work beyond what we've been called to, beyond what we've been commanded to, there's no way that we can grasp that kind of honor and glory that we think accrues to that kind of work. Do you understand? And isn't it interesting that here we have the discussion of the bride and the bridegroom in this context. What John is saying is, I can't do the work of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. Likewise, we can say, as men, I can't do the work of my wife. I'm not my wife. I can't do the work of the bride. I'm not the bride. It hasn't been given to me to do that work. Right? John can't take followers back from Jesus. How absurd would that be? Right? All of the people are beginning to flow to the one that John said, follow him. This, is, this was John's whole build-up, right? was repent, 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 and what? And follow Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's like... Ta-da! The spotlight comes on. I mean, all of the greatest ways that you can think of to draw attention to somebody, you couldn't say anything greater than what John says about Jesus. And so he's, of course, everybody's like, been watching John, and they all turn their heads. You can just see, right? Everybody's head is going to swivel. Who's he pointing to, right? Behold, him, that guy over there, that one, the Lamb of God. And so everybody's attention at that moment turns. There's this huge shift in attention, in following. Followers begin to leave John and go to Jesus. So John's work. He can't receive anything unless it has been given him from heaven. He was given that work, and then that work was done or was changed at the the arrival of Jesus. Right? Similarly, our work changes when we get married, doesn't it? Now all of a sudden there's the work of the marriage itself. There's so many things that can be said about manhood and womanhood here. 
but there's also so many things that apply all over our lives as we think about going into the new year. Is there work that you've been given that you need to move on from? Because you've got new work that you need to do. Think about that before we come to January 1st. John's work was changing, wasn't it? Has your work changed and you haven't changed with it? You've been holding on to some previous work that you've already really done what you need to do there, but now you're making it this area of greatness. It's time to move on. There are more things to accomplish, right? Look to see if there is new work you should be taking on. If there are things that you've accomplished that now you're, you're struggling to hold on to them when they're not what God has given you anymore. This may be in your relationship with your husband or wife. It may be in your relationship with your children. It's interesting, you know, this, this sort of thing is natural. That's, that's part of what we get from John's description of, the, of things at a wedding, right? This is a normal occurrence. There's this change that takes place in the prioritizing of time and energy and who's important at any given... Well, all through life we see that things change naturally. This is part of what God has made the world to do. Things develop and progress. And so... When we get married, a lot of people want to uh, stop at that point and never proceed on to children, right? And yet it's a natural part of the progression of marriage that it flows to having children, right? And so if we say, well, no, I don't want that. I don't want that work. I don't want that responsibility. I don't want that change. I like it this way. We could say, oh, well, I'm just focusing on my relationship. I'm just focusing on this marriage. I'm focusing on strengthening it. And what I would say is, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. And yet, that applies to children. If the Lord doesn't give you children, then you say, you content yourself with that, and you say, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. Right? But likewise, it applies to that first step where we're married and we don't have children yet. And we realize that children are a gift. And we realize that we can't hold on to and idolize that gift, that work that God has given us we are meant to move on from it, not to be stuck on it forever. 
holding on to that particular position, that particular uh, spot in our life, and always looking back to it or trying to keep anything from changing there, right? Do you guys see what I'm saying? John is talking about how naturally things progress. Once you have children, what happens? They don't stay like that. Little tiny babies, do they? You can't continue to teach them and treat them that way. Your work has to move on. This is why it's so perverse that you've got women who are still nursing their 10-year-old, right? She's trying to hold on to something that she can no longer hold on to. The work needs to move on. And so John is John has these disciples, these, these people who want him to hold on to this era that he had where he was at his in his glory years, right? Where he was he had all the attention and he had all of the the, the people coming out to him in the desert, in the wilderness, and you know, it's like, oh, well, those were the days. And we look back this way, don't we? What is that? Okay, we'll try to ignore it. It's pretty distracting, isn't it? All right, sorry. I hope it's not a hole in the roof, too. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, it is what it sounds like. All right, well, if we see water start dripping, we'll go tell the janitor. All right, Kate? I'll send you. On the double, yes. Where was I? John the Baptist and the glory years. Okay, so any era in your life, you may have this feeling of wanting to hold on to that glory years. You know, this is, uh, this is the the whole point of Napoleon Dynamite, right? Have you guys seen this? Oh, those were the days. Uncle Rico, he's got his football and he's living his, you know, he's wanting to relive the glory years. And of course the irony there is that they weren't even really glory years, right? But but that's what we're that's the that's the sad part of what, of us trying to hold on to things that haven't been given us from heaven, right? So this year, be a man, be a woman, focused on the work that God has given you right now. Not on the work that you wish he'd given you. Not on the work that you used to have, that you need to move on from. Right? Not on the freedoms that you used to have. What do you have right now that's been given you from heaven? And a lot of the time, The changes that we go through in our life are like the change that John the Baptist faces. And it's a change that's humbling. 
where we decrease and others increase. And again, just think about the natural way that God has created the world. Eventually, we'll grow old. And our children will be taking care of us instead of us taking care of our children, right? And that process is a process of decreasing that our children increase and we decrease, isn't it? Don't feel threatened by the changes that you see taking place in you or that you see taking place in other people's work. Embrace the new work that God has given you this year. Now another thing. The disciples of John are jealous over Jesus increasing as John decreases, aren't they? And yet John isn't jealous. John is not jealous. This is terrible. Do you see water dripping? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's water, but there's nothing he can do up there. You see water dripping, tell me, okay? It's not above the communion table, is it? Good. <clears throat> John isn't jealous. Jesus increases. And it is, it is clear that it is at the expense, so to speak, of John, isn't it? There are things in our life that if somebody else has them, we can't have them. Right? Not everything is that way. We're tempted to think that everything is that way. But there are certainly some things that work that way. If somebody else has them, we can't. But here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to try to get them at the same time as other people have them, or we're tempted to try to get them from other people, or just to simply sit there and be bitter and jealous that they have them now and that we don't, right? But if we have them when God hasn't given them, we don't really have them. Right? Nothing, we can't have anything unless it's been given from heaven. Now, how is that possible that I would say if we have them when God hasn't given them? Well, I'm talking about trying to hold on to something 
trying to make yourself something that you aren't. Now, if I put this into, um, if I put this in terms of sexuality again, it'll be obvious, right? If a man tries to be a woman, no matter what he goes through in terms of hormones and surgery and on and on clothes and nails and on and on and on and on, right? And he, now he has what he wants, right? And yet, does he have what he wants? No. He doesn't have what he wants. And that's what I mean by if we have things when God hasn't given them, we don't really have them. But what about with you? Are there things that you're holding on to, forcing, as it were, when God hasn't given them? Sometimes people do this with children. Sometimes people do it with marriage. Sometimes people do it with free time. There's a lot of things that we can do this with, right? We can do this in our marriage bed. We can do it all over the place where we're trying to get something because we're simply not content with what God has given us. But if we are trying to get something or grasp and keep on holding on to something that God is taking away from us and giving to somebody else, or that we've simply never been given in the first place, we're not going to be able to have it. Now here's the other side of it. If we seek these things for our own benefit rather than for the glory of God, it's pride. And so this year, as we look to see what our work is going to be, if we, you know, you think about New Year's resolution, what a New Year's resolution is always at its core is a commitment to work, right? I mean, there's, there's no New Year's resolution that anybody makes that isn't at its heart a commitment to work. Even, even when you hear people make the insane New Year's resolution of I'm going to spend, I'm going to, I'm going to have, you know, spend more me time this year, or some, some such absurd, you know, what is that? Well, all they're saying is they're going to spend more time working on themselves, for themselves, for their own glory, right? So it's still work, right? I'm going to make sure, I'm going to, I'm going to spend an extra four hours a week this year on free time. I'm going to spend an extra five hours a day playing computer games. You know, you, you can't even make either of those resolutions without it being a commitment to working at it. 
So if you're going to make resolutions, you need to seek God's glory, not your own this new year. Let these resolutions be so that God's name would be glorified. So that you might decrease and that he might increase. Because our glory and the glory of Jesus Christ are always connected in this weird way. In that if we seek our own glory, that will always come at the expense of the glory of Jesus Christ. And yet if we seek the glory of Jesus Christ, that will always come with the strange reversal of the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he will raise us up on the last day. And so what a beautiful thing that is. It requires humility. It requires humility for us to seek God's glory and not our own. You want to spend more time exercising this year? Fine. Great. Why are you going to do that? You going to change how you eat this year? Great. Do it. As long as you're doing it for the glory of God. Well, how can I know, though? (laughs) That's immediately, you know... Isn't that the question we've got right away? Well, how can I know? How can I know? Well, let let me say a couple of things related to that. First of all, humility is not the same thing as God's gonna do what God's gonna do. I guess I might as well not do anything. That's that's the opposite of humility. He hasn't decided to give me something, then I guess I just won't have it. Guess I'll just keep sitting here eating Twinkies and growing horizontally. You know, he hasn't seen fit to give me a body of fitness. What is that? That's not humility. Is it? That's blaming God and pretending like you're submitting to him. That's attributing your sin to his name. Your lack of self-control, your gluttony, whatever it is. On the flip side, accepting discipline from the hand of God, whether that discipline is the discipline that John the Baptist receives of the people being taken away from him and given to Jesus, and it's not discipline for his sin, you understand, but it's just, this is a, a discipline, if you will. This change that's going, that's, that's going on, that's taking place for John the Baptist. You know, accepting discipline from the hand of God is not the same thing as refusing to seek his will. Right? 
We need to seek His will. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So the most important thing this year as you enter into the new year, as you think about your resolutions, is that you seek Jesus Christ. Don't let your resolutions be designed for increasing yourself. Instead, let them seek to increase God's presence in your life. Let your resolutions be designed to increase obedience to Him, devotion to Him. We want Jesus Christ to increase. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that besides Him increasing? He must increase. But we must decrease. And that's the only way that He increases in our life It's the only way that he increases in the lives of others is when our will is submitted to his. Our goals are submitted to his. When we're seeking what he has given. And one of the most beautiful things that he's given is his law. One of the most beautiful things that he's given is his law. So important for us to recognize that. On his law, we meditate day and night. Why? So that his will would be done. So that he would increase so that he would be glorified. Is that going to be a drag? No, you'll have the best year of your life. You will. The misery of seeking your own glory is just that, misery. Seeking our own desires instead of obedience to his commands, it's inevitably miserable. Because it's inevitably sinful and it's inevitably destructive. You've been there. Is that what you want? You want more of it? No, we don't like it. So you think about resolutions and you think, oh, well, it's going to be a lot of work. And I say, yeah, good work, good work. Because it glorifies Jesus Christ. Let's seek his increase this year. Amen? Let's pray.